So Norma, would you close out our time giving thanks to the Lord and then pray for our time in the word and in our time of fellowship. Father God, thank you. Again, thank you for everything, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have given us everything that we need to live a godly life, Father God. We are without excuse, Father God. We we have everything, Lord Jesus. We have you inside of us, living, uh, God. And you have given us, Father, the power to overcome sin, Lord Jesus. Uh, you have given us the Word of God to for us to be able to walk habitually in the Spirit, God. So we are thankful, Lord Jesus, that we can boldly come to the throne of grace, Father God, and know that you are for us and not against us, Father God, that we are your people, your chosen generation for such a time as this, Father God. Thank you for the privilege that we can call you Abba, Father, friend, beloved. Jesus, thank you that you save us. Thank you, Jesus, that, that you rescue us from darkness into your marvelous life, Father God, that we are and a foundation that cannot be shaken, Father God. Lord, help us to live a life that honor you, that we walk with you, that we have fellowship with you day and night, that we will meditate in your word day and night, Father God, that we will seek your face every day, Father God, that we will believe that you are for us and not against us, Father God, that you will be with us until the very end, Father God. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for everything, my God. and. I pray that this day, Father God, we will honor you in everything that we do and say, Father God. I pray that you will speak to us, Holy Spirit, that we will uh, do exactly what you call us to do, Father God, that that we will apply the truth of the gospel for us and for those around us, Father God, that we will teach others, that we will encourage others, that we will edify and build each other up, Father God. So we thank you for this time together. Uh, We pray, Father God, that you use your servant now, Father God, helping to to deliver the master that you already have placed in his heart father god so we thank you we worship you in jesus name we pray amen amen Celebration in the ceremony, and that little town on the body.
one but still you came and you stepped into the dark cause that's just the kind of God you are
thank you for that truth, Lord Jesus. God, you will never fail, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus. God, that you are on the throne. Father, that you are interceding for us, Lord. Father, I thank you that no matter what may come our way, God, that you are steadfast. Father, you are sovereign. God, that you are for us and not against us. That our hope that is in Jesus will never disappoint us. Father, we thank you for your great love. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to reconcile us back to the Father. So now, therefore, those who are in Christ are at peace with God. Father, we thank you that we can gather today, Lord, the opportunity to come and to hear your word. And Father, I pray that our hearts are good soil to receive. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've begun this work in us and you are in us if we are in Christ. That you are our comforter, our guide, and our teacher. So Holy Spirit, come teach us today. Equip us today that we may be about our Father's business. Jesus, making your name famous throughout the earth. And so, Father, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Good morning. Application. Sustained effort, hard work. Again, this word that I'm holding up to all of us throughout this year. It really challenges to grow as Christians. As I've shared with you before, and as you can see for yourself, if your eyes are open to what's happening throughout the earth, Deception, the spirit of deception is rising up. And we're told that in the last days that that's going to happen. That the spirit of deception is rising up. The spirit of perversion, the spirit of chaos, all of it is rising up. A false religion, it's rising up. Everything that is out there is rising up. And you say, but is that good news? Yes, that's great news. Because it lets us know that the time is near. No one knows the day or the hour when Jesus is going to return. But what we do know is Jesus is very specific on what those day, what the day and the hour will look like. And so when we see these things taking place, we're not to cower down. No, no, no. It's time to get up and recognize that we are purposed for today. That we're purposed to go forth as the people of God, doing the will of God for the glory of God. To live our lives in such a way that honors Christ. And that Christ could then use us to go forth and to declare the good news to those who are still bound to the old nature to the old man, to the old woman. You see, we're all born into that nature, that nature that is in rebellion towards a loving God. The question is not, does God love us? No, the question is, do we love God? And that's why that's the greatest commandment. 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. To love the Lord your God. And in and of ourselves, as we understand the gospel, as we understand the living word of God, in and of ourselves, we would not love him. In and of ourselves, in and of our old nature, we have accusations against him. We're angry at him. We hold our fist up towards him. We want to be God. We want the created things to lord over us. But we must know that we were never meant for the created. We were meant for the creator, for his purpose. And so when our eyes are open, when God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus, as the spirit of God has begun to woo us, begin to draw us to himself, how are we then responding? How are you responding to the move of God? God is moving throughout the earth. And yet though the, the spirit of deception is rising up and everything else is rising up after it, it's a lesser power. It cannot thwart God's plan. God's plan from the beginning to the end, we all should know this by now because I repeat it over and over, is to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. From Genesis to Revelation, that is what is laid out for us. That it's God's work. It's God's purpose. It's God's plan. It's God's love. And so we have to wake up in this hour and understand the importance of application. I keep telling you, we can't keep doing church the way we've done church, where people just come in and go back out and live however they want. That's not church. That's not the Christian life. No, the Christian life is one who has been, who has been revealed the love of God, the glory of God, and the holiness of God, that God is pleased to reveal the need that we have for the Savior, for the Messiah, for His Son, and then to respond to His calling. That we repent, that we surrender, that we recognize ourselves as His enemy. But, but in, that recognize, in recognizing that, then we also recognize His great love. That then, as we receive Christ, we're born again of a new spirit, of a new nature. By the Spirit of God, we are born again. And now that's how we're living. That's how we're maturing. And it's sustained effort. You have to apply the truth. Where there's no application, there's no obedience. And where there's no obedience, there's no loving God. Because even Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Why do you think that you belong to me when you don't even look like me? I mean, that's how the people are going to stand at the end of days, thinking that they're going to be ushered into heaven for all eternity. And he's going to say, I don't know you. 
I don't know you, you worker of sin, you worker of iniquity. I see the nature that I came to defeat and to destroy is ruling you. And that is what you chose. Because I have been faithful to reveal myself to you and you kept denying me. I mean, this is the reality. This is the reality. God is pleased to reveal himself. We see our need. We humble ourselves. We repent. And now it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle change. That's why the Bible is very specific. If you once were a liar, stop lying. Start telling the truth. If you were a thief, stop stealing. Work hard and give to the poor. If you have a foul mouth, clean up your language and start speaking that which is pure, which is right, which is lovely, which is honest. I mean, it's a change that people should see in our lives. Like there's something different about you. You're not the same. No, I'm not the same. I need to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. But it's through sustained effort. It's hard work. We're to give our full attention to this now. So applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book. An impractical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself will be with us. The first step applying God's word in our lives is reading it. Our goal in reading is to get to know God, to learn his ways, and to understand his purpose for this world and for us individually. In reading the Bible, we learn about God's interactions with humanity throughout history. His plan of redemption, his promises, and his character. We see what the Christian life looks like. The knowledge of God we glean from Scripture serves as an invaluable foundation for applying the Bible's principles for life. Our next goal is what the psalmist refers to as hiding. Hiding God's word in our hearts. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalms 119 verse 11. The way we hide God's word in our hearts is by studying, memorizing, and meditating on what we have first read. These four steps, read, study, memorize, and meditate, make it possible to successfully apply the scriptures to our lives. And remember, the degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come alive to life in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study. And it also serves to sharpen our discernment. And we all should be able to complete this sentence. 
as we've heard it now for three months, helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. That's important, you all. Again, as we see as the world turns, the days are getting more evil. As a final word, it is important to note that we are not alone in trying to understand and apply God's word to our lives. God has filled us with his spirit who speaks to us, leading and guiding us into all truth. For this reason, Paul instructs believers, walk by the spirit, for he is very present help. He is our very present help in our time of need. The spirit will faithfully guide us into the will of God, always causing us to do what is right. Who better to teach how to live according to all that is written in the Bible than the one who inspired the Bible to begin with, the Holy Spirit himself. Therefore, let us do our part by hiding the word of God in our hearts and obeying the Holy Spirit as he draws, I love this concept, as he draws the word out of us. The word is planted in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He draws it out of us so that we're living it. We're to be transformed people, not perfect people. We're not perfected until we are with him. But we are to be transformed. We're to be maturing, letting go of what's behind and pressing on to what's ahead. Because once you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, oh, you're not going to settle for that, which is of the created. Let us go to Titus real quick. Titus, fun little book. It's right after 2 Timothy. And we're going to look at Titus chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Hear these words, you all. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. Remember, God is not a respecter of persons, as he called Paul, so he has called us. And with confidence in the Spirit of God, by the power of God in and through us, we, like Paul, could be able to announce this. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth 
that shows them how to live godly lives. Remember, God begins this work. God chooses us. And in a day and age where the gospel is being watered down, where grace is being trampled, where his blood is being made so common that there's no power in it to transform lives, we as the people of God have to raise up a standard as the Spirit of God in us calls us to raise up that standard of righteousness. And we say, no, not on my watch. You're not cheapening the means of which God provided for mankind to be restored to him so that you can feel comfortable living the way you want to live. Now, I keep telling you, people have a right to live however they want to live, but they've got to stop calling themselves Christians when they're not a Christian. They're making a mockery of God. People can choose to run after the created and give themselves over and over and over and over to the created, and that is their choice. God loves them enough to say, if that is what you want, have at it. But that's what you get. But as the church, as the church, as the body of Christ, those who have been redeemed, those who have been chosen, those who have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, we have been commissioned now to go. That's why church can't just be a place that we go to. No, church is who we are. We're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're in it together to press in and to press on to see his kingdom advance until he returns to collect us. I mean, this is the good news. God has chose and to, and not only chosen, and then teach them how to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. I have been sent, you have been sent, if you are a Christian, to go forth and to proclaim to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live a godly life. We are called to live godly lives. Not loose lives anymore, but God-fearing lives. And I love what it says, this truth, just having that truth, applying it to our lives, living it out. Listen to what it says. This truth then gives them confidence that they will inherit, I'm sorry, that they have eternal life because God does not lie. It's the work that he begins in us. He is faithful to complete it. So we get up each day with that understanding, with that confidence, not in and of ourselves that we're going to do everything right, but confidence that Jesus is victorious. He rose from the dead. He's still not in the tomb. He's still not in the cross. He's still not in the manger. No, we believe, if you truly, truly, sincerely believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead, and by that understanding that he rose from the dead, that he has defeated sin and death, then we got to stop making excuses for the sin that so easily entangles us. Because the Bible says to throw it off. To throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Stop making excuses for it. Like he's alive. 
He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the place of authority, the place of all power. This is the God in whom we place our confidence. I don't place my confidence that I'm going to do good today. My confidence when I get up each day is in Christ. It's in, it's in the understanding that God, you've given me yourself, your Holy Spirit in me to live out in this new nature that you birthed me in. It's this new birth. I don't know, are you waking up with confidence in him? Are you maintaining that confidence in him when life is throwing everything at you? When the created is presenting all of these options and when the devil is breathing down your back? This is the confidence that we can have in our God who is alive. And he gives us this confidence that, God, I will be with you for eternity. And let me tell you something. When you truly have that confidence of eternal life, that you're you're looking beyond this plane and you're looking up because this world is not my home. And I will not cling to what is presented before me. No, I'm clinging to Christ. That's where I'm going. And so having that confidence... Having that certain, certain being for certain that I know, that I know to the depths of my being, <laughs> that God is for me. Yes. So who can be against me? Amen. That I'm the head and not the tail. That I'm above and not beneath. This is the hope. This is the confidence that we can have. And people should see people living this out. To some, you will be a fragrance of life. To others, you'll be a stench of death. Because they don't want Christ. They don't want God. And that's their choice. (laughs) But we don't change the gospel to make them comfortable. No one changed it for me to make it comfortable. (laughs) And I'm glad they didn't. Because God is pleased to reveal himself to us. And then, look at this. Not only do we have this confidence, and we know that he's not one who who lies, but this was promised to us, to you, (coughs) before the world began. I can't say it enough to you all, what Scripture says. He's prepared good works for us to do, even before he spoke. And the worlds were formed. He knows us. He knows us intimately. He knows the numbers of hair on our head. He knows exactly what he's equipped for us to do. Even before he placed us in in our mother's womb. Man may have thought us of an accident. Oh, but the God Almighty, you're no accident. He purposed you. He planned you. He formed you. For just this day and this hour. Yes. Amen. And the days to come, as long as you have breath in your body, you have purpose. Yes. And so we've got to stop trying to find our identity and our purpose in what's here and start understanding our purpose is here. Yes. Like, you've created me, you designed me, you've given me gifts to utilize to serve. You see, that's what the gifts are for. 
And we ought not to be fighting each other for gifts for that the Spirit of God distributes or being jealous over what one person has and why don't I have that? No, just be content in what God has given you and begin to grow in it, begin to understand it so that your life is being lived on purpose now. As you give thought, as as you're going about your day, like it's a whole new way to live. And again, he, he did this Before the world began. And now at just the right time, he has revealed this message. What message? The message of Christ. The gospel. The good news. So that we can announce it to everyone. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. It is by the command of God our Savior that you... And I have been entrusted with this work for him. See, we're loving our God. We're serving our God. This is how we're living. Again, it's just not a a religion. It's just not works-based that leads to nothing. (laughs) No, it's confidence in the living God who has revealed himself to us and said, come, I've got you. But God, this, that, no, 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 don't look at all that. Look at me. But God, I'm this way, I'm that way. No, stop looking at yourself, because you're going to learn to die to yourself. It's the call of a disciple. Mm -hmm. To deny yourself, to pick up the cross, and to follow him. It's a death walk. But yet, it's a life filled. Does it make sense to the natural mind? It never will. You must be born again to really grasp the fullness of what the Spirit of God is saying. That's why the Bible says we're to live lives that do not grieve the Holy Spirit. God has emotions. (laughs) The Holy Spirit has emotions. You're not called to grieve Him. No, you're to walk in step with him. And I've been thinking a lot this week about death because we had a good friend of ours die this week. You know, and and, and that's where we're all heading. (laughs) We don't have to wait to sit in the doctor's office to get the, oh, you only have a few weeks to live. Listen, we're dying. (laughs) We could be dead by the end of that hour. You know, in the next five minutes, I can drop dead right here. And we're not to be afraid of death, especially for Christians. But no, we're to be pursuing Christ and to know that He's already defeated death. Oh, death, where is your sting? What power does death have over me? When I have been born again of that which cannot die. And this is the hope that we have. And this is the hope that we have to share with others, to live differently before everyone so they know about the God who came to set them free from the penalty 
of their sins, which leads to death. And ultimately, a tormenting future for eternity. There's no end to the torment in hell. It's for eternity. And that's what I keep telling us. We've got to care more about people's eternity than we do their temporalness. Well, I don't want to upset them. Well, no one's telling you to go out and bash them over the head, but why don't you stop joining them with the things they do? Why don't you start allowing them to see that something is greater in you than yourself? That they can turn and say, wow, you are different. What what is it about you? And you can say, it's nothing of me, but it's all of him, of the one who was pleased to reveal himself to me. But just as he's pleased to have done it to me, he wants to do it for you. You don't have to fight with people. You don't have to damn people to hell. They already know. They already know. You just got to live differently. It's got to be different. For Christ. For Christ. Stop watering it down. Stop just splashing his blood on them and making it so common that there's no power to deliver them. To comfort them. To heal them. Like there's a way in which we're called to live. And it's to honor Christ. No, I won't go to those places with you anymore. No, I'm sorry. I I can't talk that way anymore. I don't want to keep gossiping and backbiting any longer. There's nothing good that comes from it. You know, they could push back, oh, what, now you're holy. Now you're a Christian. Now you're this. Oh, but last, you know, just last week you were that. But it doesn't matter what they say. Because what matters is God's truth. And it's about restoration. It's about reconciliation. This is who we are now. We're we're, we're to be making His name known as we're going forward and through our day. So don't miss out on Titus 1, verses 1 through 3. And Karen, I didn't have them in the notes, but please make sure you've added them. Because those are such a small little book, but just those first three verses are enough to carry you through. That God, wow, wait a minute. Like, do we really understand? Because again, the days are growing more and more evil. The spirit of deception is rising. I keep telling you, it's like living in one of those weird Christian movies. That, that it's all about the end times. I don't know if you ever watched one of them. It's weird. They're weird. But I go... But God, every day I get up, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm starring in one. Like, how can people be so deceived when it's very, it's evident right before them that these are lies that are being portrayed to them, and yet everyone's applauding it. And you just go, wow, wait a minute. What is going on? What is happening? It's right here. Every prophecy, everything's coming to pass. And so there's work for us to do. So don't let the challenges of life detour you on your walk with Christ. No, no, see them for what they are. They're there to equip us, to get us to where we're going. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. So scriptures. Again, you've heard these upcoming three scriptures before this year. These are scriptures on application that I hope encourage you to keep persevering. To persevere. And applying God's truth. 
Allow your roots to grow down deep. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Mm, that's so good, man. All right, but I'm going I'm to keep with just verse 16. Okay, so verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. But if you want, you should go back and read chapter 4, verse 6 through 16. It talks about being a good servant of Jesus Christ. But let's just focus on verse 16. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teachings. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Keep a close watch on how you live. You see, so again, when it comes to application, practical application, are you keeping a close eye on how you're living? Rather it's at home, rather it's at work, rather it's just out in community. Are you, are you keeping a close eye? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to say, nudge you and say, hey, 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 wait a minute. Don't talk that way. Don't act that way. Don't sit down with them and act like them. Because you're grieving me. Repent of that. Turn from that. Instead of making excuses, well, God, this really isn't going to hurt anything. No, it's going to destroy you, and not just you, but them. If you continue to allow yourself to harden yourself to the things of God, why would you do that if you're calling yourself a Christian? Remember, in the last days, there's going to be a great falling away. Not because, ooh, God took it from them. Oh, it's because that's what they chose. And so we got to really understand what the Word is telling us. Keep a close watch on how you live. Don't live like a fool, one who is darkened, one who has never been redeemed. If you're calling yourself redeemed, if you're calling yourself a Christian, now if you're not a Christian, you just hold a form of religion, well, repent and be saved in Jesus' name. <laughs> But if you're calling yourself a Christian and you're saying, no, I believe, well, then you better keep a close watch on how you live. Mm -hmm. Stop lying. Stop deceiving. Stop backbiting. Stop giving into lust. Stop giving into evil desires. Stop giving yourself over and over and over to everything and anyone that you feel satisfies you. No. Give yourself completely to God. And live for God. Keep a watch on how you live. Go through this week. Before you open up your mouth to speak, is it honoring Christ? Is it edifying? Is it building up? And if it's not, shut up. Don't open your mouth. Oh, but I just got to say my piece. For who? Speak it. Come on. Because it's going to do nothing. And it'll add no value. To what Christ is doing in your life. Oh, I just gotta, I, I'm, I'm desiring this, I'm desiring that. I, I just feel this pull to this, so I just gotta give myself to it. No, you don't. 
He makes a way out of every temptation. Do you know how many people are sitting in church this morning that was bound by porn last night? Or laying with a lover? I told you back in the days, before I came to Christ, I would have people in my face. You're going to hell. You ought to come to church. But within two hours, they're in bed with me. I mean, come on. Got to stop playing games. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. <laughs> giving over to things, giving in to things, just doing me. <laughs> no. Keep a close watch on how you live. Are you stewarding well? You're supposed to be a good steward of all that you've entrusted, that's been entrusted to you. Your finances, your family, everything. You're to be a good manager of it all. And you say, well, I'm lacking in areas. Well, don't beat yourself up. Ask him for help. Repent. Don't keep going and doing the same pattern over and over. When you see it, you go, oh, no, wait a minute. Why am I choosing not to be a faithful steward in this area? God, help me. God, help me. Keep a close watch on how you live. Are you serving in the church? Are you giving your tithes and offering? And I'm not talking about pressuring you to better give your 10%. But no, like you need to be a cheerful giver. That's what the Bible says. And you should be giving as the Lord leads. You should be serving as the Lord calls. And you should stop complaining about the church. Complaining about the pastor. Complaining about this. Complaining about that. No, no. Keep a close watch on how you live. Because as you keep a close watch on how you live, you won't begin to be teaching a false gospel. Because once you get loose in how you live, you're going to create a gospel that caters to you. And that's why it says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation. And beyond that, for the sake of others. Because people are looking. People know you go to church. (laughs) But if you're not living for Christ, man. You're in their way of knowing Christ. And Christ is going to deal with you. Mm-hmm. Christ, Jesus, you don't have the answer to the pastor. No. You got to answer to God. You're going to stand before him one day. And you have to give an account. And that's not to ooh, scare you. That's just the reality. Because again, we're all dying. But if you're in Christ, death has no power or sting. Yet though you will fade from this realm, you will be ushered in into his presence. For the life that you were always called and prepared for. Go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Verse 14.
<clears throat> oh, Lord Jesus, Jesus, I gotta be careful and not preach all day. You know what? We're gonna do Romans 13, 14, I'm sorry, 13, verse 11 through 14. Ah, no, you know what? So we're going to do Romans 13, verse 8 through 14. All right, here we go. Here we go. Wow, yes, Lord. Verse 8 of, verse, of chapter 13. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. Highlight that. Circle that. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Love does no wrong to others. Keep that in the forethought as you go about this week. Man. Verse 11. This is all the more urgent. For you know how late it is. Talking about the end times. Time is running out. And if it was written then, and then they were being warned, time is running out. Do you understand how close we are to time running out? Especially because of the signs and the times that we're seeing. And we just want to keep living frivolous lives. Running amok. But then coming to church. Oh no, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. This is all the more urgent. What is what we just read? Love others. <laughs> Love does no wrong to others. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So... So, here's some application, here's some practical applications to the truth that you're hearing that you should be applying this week. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of what? Right living. Remember what I keep repeating when I'm going over application because ultimately we ought to grow in discernment so we know between good and evil. So take off the old, take off the evil deeds, and put on right living. Because we belong to the day. We must circle back. We must. It's not, it's not an option. But we must live decent lives. Look at this. For all to see. See, your Christian life is not just for you. 
Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Take care of me, Lord. Take care of me, Lord. God, move on my behalf. God, move on. Yeah, he will do all that. But ultimately, what God is doing in and through you is for others to know him and to see him in and through you. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. So, let's take a little, another step of application. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. It's not what you ought to be giving. If you're calling yourself a Christian, now again, if you're not a Christian and that's how you want to play, then go play. Have your fill. Have your share. I'll judge you. You already stand judged. Remember scripture. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Because the next scripture, but though people want to just stay at that first scripture, but they got to carry it on because the world already stands condemned. The wrath of God is coming. (laughs) But God has made provision for created men and women to be born again (laughs) of the nature that he's purposed for us to be. So we're not to continue to participate in that which is dark. So then what do we do? Then how do I live? Well, look at verse 14. Instead, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in your evil desires. This is application. You see, they just can't be words on the page. They just can't be, oh, amen. And then you do nothing with it. No, this is how you're called to live. But in and of yourself, you can't. So you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you must be born again. You can try to be good all you want. And you can even have Jesus on uh, his name on your lips. But he's not in your heart. Because when he's in your heart, you, you change. You don't feel right any longer where you've been and what you've been doing. No. Listen. And it should be the same for you. But you know yourself better than anyone. (laughs) But I can only tell you, I was a very dark man. I did some crazy things. I hated Jesus. I hated the church. (laughs) But listen, when I gave my life, when I bowed my knee, I knew I couldn't keep living. No one, no one had to tell me, oh, you can't do that anymore. You can't do that. No, I just knew. Like, all of a sudden, my eyes were open. I'm like, huh. But I was still with my gay lover. I still had issues in my life. But God began to work them in me. And I would fight God when God would say, no, no, you can't live that way any longer. I didn't need man to tell me. I saw it in his word. I searched for the right to keep living for myself. And it wasn't until the day that I finally yielded everything and said, okay, you're not forcing me. So I'm willingly laying it all down. I didn't have problems with who I was. I never once questioned it. I loved everything about me. 
But yet I was depressed and miserable and found myself trying to commit suicide. What kind of craziness is that? But that's what the flesh does. That's what the flesh does. I was involved in all the occult activity. I was doing this and doing I'm running amok. But when God stepped in, when light pierced the darkness, and I looked up and was like, oh, Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing. No one had to tell me anything. Of course, I needed the body of Christ, as we all do, for encouragement, for encouragement, for edification, for accountability. But ultimately, when I'm reading God's word, because listen, I knew when I got up off that floor, I'm a new man. I don't know how to live this. I've seen it live before me, but I saw no power in it. I didn't want to become one of those church people that I saw back in the day. They weren't really, that's all they were. They weren't Christians. They were just church people. They're religious folks. They're in the church. The Bible is very clear. The wheat and the tares, they grow together. No, God, I didn't ask for this. You did this. How then now shall I live? And so I would just begin to eat up the word. I don't know if you're eating the word. I don't know if you're hiding the word in your heart. I don't know what you're doing, but by God, I hope you're doing something. I hope you're applying it. Instead, do this each day. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't. And don't circle that, highlight that, let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Remember in Romans, what does it say? How does he change us? How does he transform us by changing the way we think? So don't think of ways. Don't continue to think of ways. And you don't have to beat yourself up either. If you still have strongholds, those patterns of thinking that are contrary to the truth of God, you don't have to be ashamed to come before a church member or a pastor or someone that's, that, that's, a, that's a Christian and say, listen, this is what's going on in my life. And I keep telling you, there's too many Christians suffering in silence. Because the church doesn't want to be transparent with what the Bible tells us in Galatians. The flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But if you're going to make me come before you and pretend like, oh, I'm just victorious all the time, then what kind of nonsense is that? That's contrary to what God is telling us. And so I should be able to come in. Where the Bible says to drag the fruitless deeds of darkness out into the light. Yeah. Like, this is what's going on. This is what's happening in my life. This is what's going on in my mind. And then we encourage each other because the Bible says he gives us the weapons of our warfare to demolish those strongholds that now then we can live. And one person can put so many to flight. But you get two or three in it with you in the fight and more is going to be put out. We're to do this life together, you all. And so don't sit and suffer in silence. Don't manipulate and don't lie. Don't think that you are where you ought to be when you know good and well you're not. Stop trying to mix in and blend in when you know good and well when you step out, we all would be shocked. 
Well, for God's sake, just, uh, just five minutes ago before us, you were this nice, sweet individual. But you step out there and all of a sudden, you're a freaking nut. What, what's going on? You know? Like you can't control your temper. You've got this issue. You've got that issue. You're giving yourself over to this. You're giving yourself over to that. But among the church, you're like, oh, praise God. Holy, holy, holy. What kind of nonsense? You gotta be real, you gotta be you gotta be transparent. I tell people some sometimes I counsel people and I say to them, would you just tell your face you're a child of God? Because your countenance is miserable. It's misery. Oh, you don't know. For God's sakes, lift up, get up, encourage yourself. Yes, we'll walk through it with you. Yes, we'll go through it with you. But I'm not taking up camp with you. If you are choosing to sit in your mess, then sit in your mess. But don't expect me to sit there and feast off of that with you. I'm tired of that. I did that for the first few years of ministry. And I was always discouraged, always overwhelmed, always burnt out. <laughs> like, good God, you're people. <laughs> and God said, cut them loose. Let them go. <laughs> it's, enough's enough. Enough's enough in the truth. we got to stop it. The hour is urgent. The hour is darkened. Christ is returning. And there's a way in which we ought to be living. And when it's not in, in ways to indulge or to think of, well, how can I get away with this? Like, really, is anyone going to know? I tell you, one of the saddest things is when I hear pastors fall. Ministry leaders fall. Because we're all quick to pounce on that. Ha ha! See? See? What kind of nonsense is that? Because you're no different than them. We oughtn't celebrate. We oughtn't carry on about it. No, it should be a wake-up call. Oh, how could we allow that to get to that point? Where was his accountability? Where was her accountability? Where was people in their lives that loved them enough to say, Listen, you're lying. <laughs> you're, you're manipulating You've got anger issues. Your eyes are wandering. To hold each other accountable. Your attitude, the way you're speaking, the things that are happening in your life, something's off, something's not right. That's why we need to create an environment where people can be transparent and open. You don't have to perform for me. I'm not performing for you. You just, we just got to start being real. People ought to hear the struggles that we're going through so they can see the power of God getting you beyond them. Yes. Instead of pretending like you have the power when you don't have anything. You can hold a form. You can be a good actor or actress for the two hours or so that you're here. But what happens when you're out there? That's what matters. Remember when we talked about Integrity. Holdness. You're to be a people of integrity now. You don't have to be loose with your lives. 
No, if you're calling yourself a Christian and you say, but no, I still got all this stuff. Okay, that's fine. But are you, are you seeking and are you seeking and are you desiring to grow as a Christian? Oh, yes, pastor. Yes, I, I got the hunger and the thirst, but I never see you. You're here today. You're gone tomorrow. You're not willing to interact or to be discipled. Like, no, that, that's, that's not a hunger. That's not a thirst. That's you wanting to control what God is doing in your life, on your terms, on your time. No, that's not how it's supposed to be. We're to honor God. We're to live for God. We're to know our God. We're to trust our God. And yes, we're going to go through. But get through it. Get through it. We're in this together. That's why the people on the outside are to, be, are to look at the church and the Bible says, how are they going to know we belong to him? Not by our works, not by our big buildings, not by all of our programs, not by this, not by that. But by our love for one another. Like, there's a mixed group of people, <laughs> all races, ages, backgrounds, and yet they're all getting along. Yet... Wait a minute, they're resolving issues or quarrels among themselves. Like, what? they're a strange group of people. How can that be? Because in the natural, we're all supposed to hate each other. We're supposed to pin each other up against each other. <laughs> but the church, that's not, that's not what's going on in the church. Oh, no. And so because of that, people begin to see and say, oh, there's something different going on here. Amen. Like, what, I can belong and they're not going to care what my past is. They're not, they're not going to, you know, demand me the this and this and this and that. Like they care enough for my, my soul and my eternity to speak truth and to minister truth and to give me the grace that I need to grow. That's why I keep telling you, no one should be demanding you to get to another level where someone else is at. But you should be accountable and just say, hey, for goodness sakes, you've been there for over a year. <laughs> What are we doing? What are we doing? And we're not saying that because I'm being mean, because Robert's just a bad guy. No, but I care enough about you to be real with you. You know, to be real. Instead of just playing games and just say, hey, no, wait a minute. This is truth. I wholeheartedly believe with every part of my being <laughs> This is the living word of God. And so we ought to do what it says to do. So clothe yourself and stop thinking of ways to indulge in your evil behaviors. Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. Ah, this is good. Ephesians 5, verse 8. For once you, who? You, <laughs> were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. And you say, but pastor, oh, you don't know what I'm living outside these walls. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to even begin to take the first step. Listen, you all, 
That's the point. In and of yourself, you can't. Remember these letters to these churches. They're written to people who are new to the faith. Temple prostitutes. For goodness sakes, the woman and the man were just up on the temple giving themselves, having sex with anything and everything to honor their God that they were worshiping. But all of a sudden they hear of Jesus. Their eyes are open. They become a new creation. How do I live now? Because that was my only identity. Well, now they're sitting among the church. Thieves, robbers, adulterers, backbiters, fornicators. They're all sitting in the church now. And they're all being instructed, this is how we live now. This is how we live now. This is how we live now. We're there. We're here together. We understand what it's like. We understand what's behind us, but we're not identifying with it. If we're truly born again, we have the power of of the resurrection within us to live differently. And maybe because of my choices and my habits back here, I'm still caught up in here, but that's not where I'm remaining. I'm going to start doing what I need to do to make the right decisions. And I may still have to suffer the consequences of my choices here. Why do I still have to suffer? To keep you humble? (laughs) See, come on. we got to start dealing with people's questions instead of dancing around them. No, I I don't have a problem being bold and direct. Because before I'm bold and direct with you, I pull myself in the mirror. That's why I've always told you all. If you've been around here long enough, like before you go out and try to tell others or to share with others, you've got to share with yourself every single day. It's not a one poof, one time prayer, poof, one time prayer, poof, we're all Christians. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You understand the enemy is working overtime, peddling out this false gospel. I love with this quote. I saw from this pastor that I just love. Man, I wish I could meet him one day. But anyways, he says he says this. <laughs> He's like, the next time someone says to you, oh, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, your response should be, which one? <laughs> which one? Because there's so many Gospels out there now. That's good. This is the age in which we're living. This is why we are purposed to be able to stand. Listen, I don't go out bashing people, but I don't mind telling people, especially if they're calling themselves Christians, hey, wait a minute. You're getting me dirty with that. What are you doing? That's not how you ought to be living. As I would hope they would do with me. But again, each day I look at myself. Do you talk to yourself? Do you remind yourself? Again, your confidence is not in yourself. Your confidence is in the power of God through you. That's why I can be honest and transparent. That's why I can come before God, and you can come before God as King David is our example. I mean, for God's sakes, he was a man after God's own heart, and he should have been at battle with his troops, but instead he was lounging up on his roof, and he looks over and he sees Bathsheba. This gorgeous, beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. And he gets hard up for her. Sins for her and has sex with her. David, what are you doing? David fell in to lust. Gave into it. 
Then she becomes pregnant. Scandalous stuff that happens in the Bible. (laughs) Then she gets pregnant. David freaks out. She was the wife of one of his head commanders. So he devises a plan. And don't we devise our plans to cover what we're doing? <laughs> Bring him back from the battle. And he tells him, basically, hey, go sleep with your wife. Take some of the stress off of you, buddy. Go and have at it. David falls asleep. David wakes up, looks down next morning. The man's laying by David's bed. What? Wait a minute. What are you doing here? No, you're to be over there. And he says, how can I? When the men are out there at battle, why would I do that? So David has to devise another plan as no different than us. He gets them drunk. Sends them on. He still doesn't sleep with his wife. And David's like, what am I going to do? So David says, pins a letter to the other commanding officer and gives it to this man to carry to the other officer, not knowing all along it was a plan to kill him. So now, God's man, God's king of the hour, God's man that, that Jesus Christ is going to come through, his lineage, is now a murderer. The guy shows up, he gives the other commander the note, the note says, put him out front, as he goes front, pull all the men back. And he was slaughtered. And David thought, whew, he's taken care of. And so the man of God comes to David. Gives David this opportunity to hear this story. And David's like, what? Who did this? And the prophet of God said, it's you. And at that moment, at that moment, trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. At that moment, David hit his knees. Oh, God, what have I done? It's one of the hardest things to read through, but yet it's one of the most beautiful things to witness. And some of the Psalms that King David has penned are one of the most... And so he penned a song. And he says, Oh, God, Search me, test me, see if there's any wicked way within me. Mm-hmm. He knows his God. And you say, well, what was all that about? Why don't we go down that rabbit trail? I don't know if you're being honest with God. I don't know what you're doing in your life, that the plans that you're devising, the covering up, all your stuff that you ought not to be doing. <laughs> but even if you're in that moment... <laughs> Trust me, God is not going to forsake you even though you have forsook Him. He'll send a man or a woman of God into your life. And you may get offended by them, but hopefully you won't. Hopefully you'll respond as King David did and go, Oh God, thank you. 
Thank you that you love me enough, God, that you came for me. I didn't have this strength in me to get up to come to you, but God, you came to me. Yet again, you met me in the depths of darkness and despair with torment and lust and all this other stuff. And yet, you've come yet again to extend your hand of mercy and say, get up, my child. You don't belong here. Come on, you all. This is the God that we serve. And we just got to know him. And this is how we're interacting with each other. You know, we're just not being carefree and just stamping you on your forehead, Christian, poop, Christian, poop, you're a Christian. No, no, no. Not everyone that sits here is a Christian. You may think you are, but the reality, if we measure it with the Word of God, you wouldn't be found. Because truly Christ isn't your Lord. Christ isn't reigning in your life. And I don't say that to be mean or judgmental. That's just the reality. I care enough about your eternity. I, I told you there's too many times people are standing over the grave. And they have to conjure up in their belief that now this loved one has passed on into eternity. Everyone's going to heaven. You don't see that in here. And why now all of a sudden we're so determined about people's eternity when they're in the casket? When you gave no thought about their eternities when they were on this earth. I'm just being real. I mean, this is the reality. Because again, as I said, we've lost a dear friend this week. And, you know, so as I've been thinking about death, I'm like, God, like, like at any moment. I mean, for God's sake, the ground could open up right now all swallowed in. <laughs> and yet we're not to be afraid of it. Because that's why I love when Scripture says that Jesus came to destroy the fear of death. That's in Scripture. So this is the hope that we have for our God, you all. That we live for Him, that we honor Him, that we know Him. That the confidence that we have is in Him. It's not in me, it's not in you. But it's in God. And this is what we're passing on to the generations that are coming up. Instead of allowing them just to Run buck wild. We can't force them to be saved. But by God, if you're entrusted in raising them up, would you create an environment that may give them an opportunity to know the God in whom you say you love? You don't have to yell at them. You don't have to fight with them. But give them an opportunity to see Christ in you. You know, my daughter would know everything I did back in the day and how I neglected her and how it was in dad's here today, dad's out tomorrow. But man, I remember when I came to the Lord, I had to sit down to my da- little daughter and say, daddy's not the same and I'm so sorry for what I've done to you. Some of you just need to go to your children and just say you're sorry instead of just making excuses. But I'm sorry for the decisions I've made. And you may want to hold them to me for the rest of my life, and I get that. But I just want to say I'm sorry. It's one of the most humblest things I've ever had to do, was to look at my baby girl 
and say, God, like you entrusted her to me and what did I do with her? <laughs> but I didn't have the life skills. I didn't know. I was just running them up, running me, running me. But now that I'm a Christian, God, I want her to know you. And I don't know when that day or that opportunity will come, but God, I'm going to plow up the ground. (laughs) And the seeds are going to be planted. I'm going to water. And God, I'm going to believe, as your word says, the Holy Spirit will harvest it, that she would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That her past does no longer have to dictate her future. And the wounds and and what I did to her to inflict pain doesn't have to be what is depth in her being. But God, that she would begin to see you, the ultimate parent, the one and only true father, through me, loving her, respecting her, caring for her. It's okay, we all make mistakes. We've all done whatever. But if we are reconciled people to God, then would you go forth and reconcile yourself with others in your life? It's the hardest thing to do, but I'm telling you it's so worth it. Instead of just going along with them, but to really allow them to see who you are now. They don't have to accept who you are. They can tell you the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs of everything you've done and they can scream it to the highest of the mountains. But don't crumble. And don't fight back. Humble yourself. And live for God. We will see a generation come up, rise up out of the darkness and be brought into the light. And we will be doing our work as God has called us to. The attributes of God. That's where we're heading now. Again, I'm, I'm holding up these attributes in hopes that you understand the character of God. I keep encouraging as you can't learn of God from the enemy. You can't learn of God from the world. And you can't learn about God just how you want to create him to be. <laughs> Man, there's this young guy I follow on Instagram. He's not saved. Oh, Lord, he's so far from you. But I love this kid, man. And I'm like, God, I wish he was somewhere in Florida where I could just meet him. I love what he says. It's crazy. It's cuckoo. It's way out there. It's things I used to believe. And you say, well, why Why would you love what he says? Because he's so close to, to truth. <laughs> he's, holding, he's holding a false sense of, of hope. He He's believing in a lesser power, and yet he's searching for something greater. So I pray for him every day. I'm like, God, ah, Lord, please, please. And his life, from what he's gone through and where he's at, man, this guy has endured. And his beautiful fiance now, I mean, what they've had to go through. I'm just like, Jesus, like, they're so close. They're so close. But they're allowing this realm to influence them. But I'm believing, God, you are working in them. And God, they're so close to truth. That God, would you just unleash the power of the Holy Spirit and bring them forth. 
because, man, they are influencers, and he has a huge following. And I will love nothing more than see the, the day for him to announce that Jesus is his Lord and Savior. But God, the attributes of God. We've heard God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. That God is immutable. He never changes. That God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. That God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. That God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And today, we're hearing God is omnipresent. He is always, I'm sorry, He's, <laughs> He is always everywhere. So here's our notes on this. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and show you, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. I am a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. From Jeremiah 23, verse 23 through 24. To be omnipresent is to be in all places, at all times. Yet it is important to understand that for God to be in a place is not the same way we are in a place. God's being is altogether different from physical matter. The website from Ligonier.org explains, He exists on a plane wholly distinguishable from the one readily available to the five senses. Nevertheless, He is with us. The fullness of His presence is around us. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shiloh, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. The psalmist again proclaims God's omnipresence in Psalm 137. This ought to bring deep comfort. So just having this knowledge... That God is everywhere. That this ought to bring deep comfort to Christians who struggle with loneliness and deep sorrow. In a very real way, God is always near us. Closer than our thoughts, writes Tozer. The knowledge that we are never alone calms the troubled sea of our lives. And I love this. And speaks peace to our souls. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And oh, I pray that we would remember that and that would bring encouragement to us. The Heidelberg Catechism, the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Day 47. Yet again, another tool I'm presenting to you all to help you grow, to get you rooted in Christ so that you can continue to clothe yourself with Christ. Here's the question. What does, and this again relates to the Lord's Prayer, what does the first petition mean? You say, what's that petition? It's when in the prayer it says, hallowed be your name. So this means, help us to truly know you, 
to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all this that shines forth from them. Your mighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Hallowed be your name. Now you understand the meaning behind that. And again, there's scriptures there that you can go and you can just study and read and meditate on. Hide them in your heart so you have a good understanding of how great our God is and how we're called to love him with our whole being. First Chronicles is where we're heading now. Chapter 12, verses, verse 19, verse, I mean, going through chapter 14. So we're actually, because of the way the Bible app reads, you have to start at the beginning of chapter 12. But follow along, nevertheless, because again, the encouragement of Chronicles is to remind the people who has been away from their identity, they've been led into captivity, but now they're being brought out and they're being reminded of who they are. And so it is with us. When we have been held captive by sin when we have been taken away into captivity, and yet the Holy Spirit comes, opens up our eyes, and begins to remind us of who He is, and then ultimately who we are in Christ. So, chapter 12. Warriors join David's army. The following men joined David and Ziklag while he was hiding from Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who fought beside David in battle. All of them were expert archers, and they could shoot arrows or sling stones with their left hand as well as their right. They were all relatives of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Their leader was Ahiezer, son of Shimeah from Gibeah. His brother Joash was second in command. These were the other warriors, Jeziel and Pelet, sons of Asmabeth. Berakah, Jehu from Anathoth, Ishmaeliah from Gibeon, a famous warrior and leader among the thirty, Jeremiah, Jehaziel, Johanan, and Josabad from Gedorah, Eluzai, Jeremoth, Beeliah, Shemariah, and Shephatiah from Heroth, Elkanah, Ishiah, Azrael, Jozer, and Jashabim, who were Korahites, Jolah and Zebediah, sons of Jeroam, from Gedor. Some brave and experienced warriors from the tribe of Gad also defected to David while he was at the stronghold in the wilderness. They were expert with both shield and spear, as fierce as lions and as swift as deer on the mountains. Ezer was their leader. Obadiah was second. Eliab was third. Mishmana was fourth. Jeremiah was fifth. Adai was sixth. Eliel was seventh. Johanan was eighth. Elzabad was ninth. Jeremiah was tenth. Macbeni was 11th. These warriors from Gad were army commanders. The weakest among them could take on a hundred regular troops, and the strongest could take on a thousand. These were the men who crossed the Jordan River during its seasonal flooding at the beginning of the year and drove out all the people living in the lowlands on both the east and west banks. Others from Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. David went out to meet them and said, If you have come in peace to help me, we are friends. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies, when I am innocent, then may the God of our ancestors see it and punish you. 
Then the Spirit came upon Amasiah, the leader of the thirty, and he said, We are yours, David. We are on your side, son of Jesse. Peace and prosperity be with you and success to all who help you. For your God is the one who helps you. Mm. So David let them join him, and he made them officers over his troops. Some men from Manasseh defected from the Israelite army and joined David when he set out with the Philistines to fight against Saul. But as it turned out, the Philistine rulers refused to let David and his men go with them. After much discussion, they sent them back. For they said, it will cost us our heads if David switches loyalties to Saul and turns against us. Here is a list of the men from Manasseh who defected to David as he was returning to Ziklag. Adna, Jazabad, Jediel, Michael, Jazabad, Elihu, and Zithali. Each commanded 1,000 troops from the tribe of Manasseh. They helped David chase down bands of raiders, for they were all brave and able warriors who became commanders in his army. Day after day, more men joined David until he had a great army, like the army of God. These are the numbers of armed warriors who joined David at Hebron. They were all eager to see David become king instead of Saul, just as the Lord had promised. Hmm. From the tribe of Judah, there were 6,800 warriors armed with shields and spears. From the tribe of Simeon, there were 7,100 brave warriors. From the tribe of Levi, there were 4,600 warriors. This included Jehoiada, leader of the family of Aaron, who had 3,700 under his command. This also included Zadok, a brave young warrior, with 22 members of his family who were all officers. From the tribe of Benjamin, Saul's relatives, there were 3,000 warriors. Most of the men from Benjamin had remained loyal to Saul until this time. From the tribe of Ephraim, there were 20,800 brave warriors, each highly respected in his own clan. From the half-tribe of Manasseh, west of the Jordan, 18,000 men were designated by name to help David become king. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. From the tribe of Zebulun, there were 50,000 skilled warriors. They were fully armed and prepared for battle and completely loyal to David. From the tribe of Naphtali, there were 1,000 officers and 37,000 warriors armed with shields and spears. From the tribe of Dan, there were 28,600 warriors, all prepared for battle. From the tribe of Asher, there were 40,000 trained warriors, all prepared for battle. From the east side of the Jordan River, where the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh lived, there were 120,000 troops armed with every kind of weapon. All these men came in battle array to Hebron with the single purpose of making David the king over all Israel. In fact, everyone in Israel agreed that David should be their king. They feasted and drank with David for three days, for preparations had been made by their relatives for their arrival. And people from as far away as Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali brought food on donkeys, camels, mules, and oxen. Vast supplies of flour, fig cakes, clusters of raisins, Wine, olive oil, cattle, sheep, and goats were brought to the celebration. There was great joy throughout the land of Israel. Chapter 13 David Attempts to Move the Ark David consulted with all his officials, including the generals and captains of his army. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. 
If you approve, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send messages to all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests and Levites in their towns and pasture lands. Let us invite them to come and join us. It is time to bring back the ark of our God, for we neglected it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to this, for the people could see it was the right thing to do. So David summoned all Israel, from the Shihor Brook of Egypt in the south, all the way to the town of Lebohamath in the north, to join in bringing the Ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. Then David and all Israel went to Bala of Judah, also called Kiriath-Jerim, to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house. Uzzah and Ahio were guiding the cart. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the Ark. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him dead because he had laid his hand on the ark. So Uzzah died there in the presence of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of God, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care? So David did not move the ark into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of God remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he owned. Chapter 14. David's Palace and Family Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar timber, and stonemasons, and carpenters, to build him a palace. And David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel, and had greatly blessed his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Then David married more wives in Jerusalem, and they had more sons and daughters. These are the names of David's sons who were born in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Elpalet, Noga, Nepheg, Jephiah, Elishama, Iliada and Eliphalet. David conquers the Philistines. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he marched out to meet them. The Philistines arrived and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. So David asked God, Should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied, Yes, go ahead. I will hand them over to you. So David and his troops went up to baal Perazim and defeated the Philistines there. God did it, David exclaimed. He used me to burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So they named that place baal Perazim, which means the Lord who bursts through. The Philistines had abandoned their gods there, so David gave orders to burn them. But after a while, the Philistines returned and raided the valley again. And once again, David asked God what to do. Do not attack them straight on, God replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, go out and attack. That will be the signal that God is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what God commanded, and they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So David's fame spread everywhere, and the Lord caused all the nations to fear David. 
awesome, awesome. And I know you're probably like, why do we have to hear it read like that? This thing is so important because it's the Word of God. It's the living Word of God. God in His sovereignty and in His instruction wanted this all to be laid out for us. Ultimately, the purpose in the beginning was for the Israelites that were coming back into the land. They didn't know their history. They're hearing of their history. They're understanding the purposes of God through the people of God. They're being reminded of who they are and who they belong to. And so as the church, we're encouraged as we're hearing it read that God is faithful to what God has purposed and promised. God does not abandon what God has purposed. And ultimately, the Messiah was always purposed to come through the line of David. (laughs) And so we're hearing about how God is utilizing, and we've heard it before, because again, you see it in Samuel, you see it in Kings, but yet again, it's captured here for us. But there's some other things that we can take. So chapter 13, verse 7, here's a commentary on that verse. And it's important, because I've heard people over the years say, wow, Uzzah, what did he do wrong? He, if he, what would have happened if he would have let the, uh, the ark of God fall off the cart? No, he responded to touch it, to hold it, because it was going to fall, and God killed him. And people say, how is that fair? Oh, you're looking at Uzzah. You're not looking at God. So take your eyes off Uzzah and understand God. What they were doing was in direct violation of what God asked of them. Their worship wasn't even worshiping that God was honoring. Oh, they can sing and dance all around all they want. They could be joyous and jubilous and everything else. But they were making a mockery of who God was. And you say, well, how can that be? Because they were instructed. The priest should have known. Now listen, King David did something right. Remember, it opened up in verse in chapter 13. It says he consulted. And these people gave him the wrong counsel. Listen, be mindful of who you're receiving counsel from. If it doesn't line up with God's word, don't take it and say, well, it was a pastor who told me. It was a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. Surely they know what they're talking about. Oh no, stop depending upon others. Get in the word yourself. Yes, you should counsel each other. Yes, iron sharpens iron. But make sure it lines up with truth. If David would have taken a little bit further, he would would have gone, wait a minute, we can't put that ark, the ark that represents God's presence, on a cart? That's what the Philistines did. Yes. You know, if they were, they were instructed in Deuteronomy, they put it on poles, yes. and the priests were to carry it. Mm-hmm. And if they would have done that, it would have never fallen. But they put it on the cart. Oh, look what we're doing. And they begin to sing and dance, and everyone's happy. And God's like, yeah, No. You're treating my holiness as something common. Like the other nations do. You're my people. And so don't feel bad for Uzzah. Uzzah did wrong. Should have stepped back and just not at fall. Like someone should have said, wait, we're doing this wrong. 
And so we just need to be mindful even in our day and age. (laughs) Not everything that is celebrating Jesus, God is honoring. Because God's holiness is not being maintained. So, the commentary from verse 7. The Israelites did not observe the law of God about transporting the ark with poles on the priest's shoulders. Instead, they handled it with what they themselves considered appropriate respect. In fact, in Philistine fashion on a cart. And so they disregarded the holiness of God and the divine regulation of worship. Verse 10, a commentary from chapter 13. Uzzah demonstrates a disregard for the sanctity of worship by touching the ark. Although seemingly a minor offense, Uzzah's violation involves carelessness for the holiness of God. In chapter 14, we, we hear some commentary from verse 3 and 7. As well as a palace, David acquires a harem. Remember, the Bible says he took on all these wives. A practice commonly accepted among the oriental kings of his day. The other nations did that. And yet, here's the king of Israel. And he wasn't the only one. These kings that should have known better... They are acting like other kings. In Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, however, warns the kings of Israel not to take many wives. David's willingness to take on additional wives eventually leads to the greatest crisis of his reign and violence in his own household. While polygamy is regulated in Scripture, this is a concession to fallen humanity and not the ideal or the original intent for mankind. Those who practice it experience discord in their families and, in Solomon's case, spiritual waywardness. Jesus tells us that God designed marriage to be a union of one man and one woman in Matthew 19, 3-9. See, if we would just do as God instructs, We wouldn't fall into the messes that we create ourselves. This is what we're seeing here. And I mentioned about carrying the ark on the shoulders. That's actually, it wasn't in Deuteronomy. I got that confused with the Deuteronomy here talking about the polygamy. Um, But that was in Exodus 25, verse 12 through 15. That's where you will find that. So that is the book of Chronicles. So again, be encouraged. I know it's a lot to hear. But man, understand it. Like, God, thank you for recording all of this. Ultimately for your people, but then for us to encourage us to know our God. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. And as you're turning there, we have finished with the book of Acts. We're now beginning another book, a letter to the church, to the church in Rome. And just like I do anytime we start a new book, I want to give you a little bit of background, just in case you've never read Romans or heard what is the intent of this book or this letter. Here we go. And you'll have these in the notes. I would encourage you to go back and just don't take it for granted that, oh, I've heard it. No, go back and really understand the purpose behind it, because this is, I mean, they all, the whole book, the whole Bible is phenomenal, but I treasure the book of Romans. So what's the purpose of this letter? To explain how God makes sinful people 
righteous, which means right standing with him. So every undertaking has certain fundamentals. Whether you're learning how to play soccer, trying to master your new computer, or attempting to manage your personal finances, there are certain key ideals and habits that you need to fully grasp. In the Christian life, there are fundamentals as well. Certain key concepts that every disciple must come to understand before faith growth is possible. In anticipating, in anticipation of meeting the believers in Rome, Paul writes this letter to lay out the essentials of the good news that is found in Jesus, the Messiah, who fulfilled all of God's previous plans and promises. Specifically, Paul explains how God, God came, I'm sorry, Paul explains how God can make broken, sinful people holy, changing them by faith through grace so that they are in right standing with him. Simply put, Paul's letter to the Romans is a guidebook to salvation. So how are we going to discover God in Romans? The key to understanding Paul's letter to, in Romans is an understanding of the righteousness of God. That is God's holy and, and uncompromising character and its implication for his relationship with people. As Paul discusses God's righteousness and how he draws people into right standing with himself, we see some particular aspects of God's nature and character. And again, I can't stress this enough. Know your God. Know your God because he's being revealed. He's revealing himself to us through his word. So through the book of Romans, this is how you're going to get well acquainted with your God. If he is your God, you're going to know him as the righteous judge. An issue in Romans is how people who, are fall, who fall short of God's demands for them can stand in right relationship before him. Paul helps us understand that God is a righteous judge. He is just and fair and does what is right. The gospel is a way to forgive sinners. God accepts the sacrifice. Oh, perk up and hear this. God accepts the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. And those who embrace this holy transaction and the person of Jesus Christ are saved. Another way you're going to get to know him is as an empowering spirit. The kind of life God desires for his people is one of holiness and power. How can those who are merely human live this kind of life? Through the work of the spirit of God. In Romans 8, we encounter the Holy Spirit who inhibits and influences every inhabits and influences every Christian through the Spirit's work in us. We we can live the way God desires. Oh, hear that today! Turning from sin to holy living, and even praying effectively when we are at loss as to how or what to pray. This is so important because again, with all these false Jesuses, with all these false gospels. We better know who we're listening to. Because God has not changed. He hasn't changed his plan and his purpose. And yet he's the one who does the work in us to transform us from darkness to light, from living bound to sin to living holy lives. Another way we're going to get to know him is to know him as absolute sovereign. 
What do you call someone who will always be in the right? Who is always able to do what he says? Who can and does work everything together for his own purposes? Who is free to respond to people as he chooses? And who not only works all things for his own glory, but upholds everything toward that end? In Romans, God is portrayed as sovereign. He is the God who works all things according to the good pleasure of his own will. That's how you're going to know your God through the book of Romans. And then finally, for the introduction, how are you going to grow through Romans as we're studying this? In a systematic way, in his letter to the Romans, Paul weaves together his argument to show both the need all people have for God's work of grace and the incredible outcome of that work of grace in their lives. Understanding Paul's train of thought and his thinking about righteousness or right standing with God will be of a great value to any growing disciple. So, how are you going to learn? Every person's need. Paul begins to lay out the case that everyone is in need of being made right with God. Because of sin, all humans are cut off from the life with God. This should form the foundation for every disciple's understanding of his or her life with God. We come to him because of our great need. Second, God's gracious solution. Paul then presents the good news. So he shows us that we're sinners, and now he, then he goes to present us the good news. God has made a way for anyone, and that's anyone, no matter their background, to be made right with him and through what Jesus has done. What each person desperately needs, God reveals in the gospel. Here's the real starting point for life as a disciple. New life through God's solution, his son, Jesus Christ. Number three, how are you going to grow? You're going to understand God's wonderful provision. Because God is not interested in just pardoning sinful people, but making them positively holy in his sight. So please hear that. Please walk away with that understanding. It's just not about pardoning you. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Oh, no, no, no. It's changing your nature. Do you understand? That's the Christian life. Your nature is changed. You are born again now. You now are a holy people of God. Paul next explains how God works in those who believe to produce in them character consistent with their right standing. Jesus' provision of righteousness results in a true and dramatic change in life of everyone who believes. Then, God's worldwide plan. If God planned on sending the Gospels to the nations through Paul's ministry, then a fundamental objection to this plan is that it appears as if God failed to convert the Jews through his message of hope. So why would this message then work for the Gentiles? And was God simply abandoning the Jews? Well, Romans 9 through 11 explains how God did not fail in his ongoing plan for the Jews and how the winning of the world of Gentiles would be helpful, not harmful, in bringing many Jews to the knowledge of God. And then finally, God's intended outcome. Paul is eminently practical. He always addresses how the good news should make a difference in the lives of those who believe. 
having laid out the work of God in his people, Paul lays out the principles for living a life that is in line with right standing with God. So that's chapters 12 through 15. Oh, there's going to be a lot that you're going to learn. If you've never studied the book of Romans, this is your opportune time to truly understand the gospel and how to present it, but above all that, how to live it. So the outline, Romans 1 through Romans 3 verse 20, it's going to deal with sin. Why we need God's righteousness. Romans 3, chapters 3 verse 21 through chapter 5 verse 21, we're going to talk about salvation. How God provides this righteousness. Romans 6 verse 1 through 8 verse 39, we're going to hear about sanctification. God's ongoing work of righteousness in us. Romans 9, 1 through 11, 36, we're going to hear about the sovereignty, God's freedom in granting this righteousness. And then finally, Romans 12, 1 through 16, 27, service, practical expressions of living righteously. Listen again, it's more than just coming to church, you all. If that's what you want, there's so many local churches that you can attend. (laughs) But it's about being discipled, you all. It's about discipling you all and, and giving the word of God to you all so that the spirit of God can work it in you. Remember, we read that earlier, draws it out of you so that you're living for God. If you're saying you're a Christian, then your life is to reflect what God has done in your life and what God wants to do in the lives of others. To set us free from sin and to make us holy. To make us his people. So Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17 today. Here we go. This letter is from Paul. I love this. A slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. And that's important that you understand that. This isn't a new concept. This is from the beginning. The good news. Remember, the cross was purposed even before God spoke and said, let there be light. The the cross was not a second thought when Adam and Eve sinned. No, the the intent always was Jesus to come. That's important. So God promises good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. The good news. And what is the good news? Here it is. It's about his son. His earthly life. He was born in King David's family line. That's a prophecy that was fulfilled. That's important. And he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the good news, you all. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. So that they will believe, and not only believe, but look at this, obey him. Bringing glory to his name. It's much more than saying, oops, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But yet in your belief, there's no obedience. (laughs) No. If you're saying you're going to believe, you ought to be obeying. 
And then I, and through your obedience, you're bringing glory to His name for all to see. He goes on here, and you are included among those Gentiles who have been called, I love this, to belong to Jesus Christ. You want to highlight that? You want to circle that? Go through this week reminding yourself that you've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you all in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be His own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say this. Let me, say, uh, let me say first that I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in Him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you, day and night, and I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about His Son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among the Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to the people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed. Come on. I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us, oh, come on, how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Oh, do you have faith today in Jesus Christ? Oh, how I pray that you do. So that's just the beginning of Romans. Let's go to Psalm 9, verse 13 through 20. We're wrapping up. Psalm 9, verse 13 through 20. Again, we walk through a psalm each week to hope to encourage you to look up. (laughs) You're going to go through challenges in life. Everything's going to be thrown at you, but God is for you. Allow those challenges to equip you and mature you and grow you so that you can know your God, so that through them you can look up to Him and call upon Him. Verse 13 of Psalm 9. Lord, have mercy on me. I love this, as I was thinking about it this week. So many times when, we, when, when there's stuff going on in our life, rather stuff that, that comes on us that we didn't cause ourselves, or stuff that we did wrong that now things, there's consequences. Our first reaction in the natural, in the old man, in the old woman, our old nature, is to turn from God. But come on, let's remember we're the people of God. And so we should turn to Him. And what a beautiful prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. See how my enemies torment me. Snatch me back from the jaws of death. Save me so I can praise you publicly at Jerusalem's gates. So I can rejoice that you have rescued me. The nations have fallen into the pit they dug for others. 
Their own feet have been caught in the trap they set. The Lord is known for his justice. The wicked are trapped by their own deeds. The wicked will go down to the grave. This is the fate of all the nations who ignore God. But the needy will not be ignored forever. The hope of the poor will not always be crushed. Arise, O Lord. (laughs) Are you praying like this? Do you know your God like this? Arise, O Lord. Do not let mere mortals defy you. Judge the nations. Make them tremble in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are merely human. Oh, man. That we would know our God, you all. Go to Proverbs. Finally, I'm going to throw out two nuggets of wisdom for you. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. Proverbs 19, verse 4 and 5. Wealth makes many friends. Poverty drives them all away. And finally, a false witness will not go unpunished, nor will a liar escape. Oh, that we would mind our tongues this week, you all. Let's worship our King, and then I'll close us in prayer. Thank you, Lord.
we thank you that the harvest is ready. You said in Matthew 9, God, you lifted your eyes to see that the harvest was ready. You saw with your eyes and you had compassion in your heart. We are asking Jesus as your church, would you give us that compassion? Oh, to see like you see and love like you love. This is how we long to live. This is how we're called to live. This is how we are commissioned to live. Yes. So, Father, we receive. We receive this compassion. And you said, look, look. The harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the harvest field. Oh, our eyes have seen, our eyes have seen the need of a Savior across the earth. Our eyes have seen the need for Jesus in human hearts. So we pray to the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers. Let our lives be connected to your heart. Let our hands and our feet be connected to the heart of God. That we would move in love and not just be clanging cymbals. But the hands and feet of a living, breathing God. We just say the power of the gospel. Oh, we're not ashamed of it. Because it's the power to save. The power to heal. The power to deliver. We say, Lord of the harvest. The harvest is ready. We confess with our lips. We are your laborers, Jesus. We are your sent ones, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. That's what it's about, Lord. 